Warning, here comes a director whose films are only for those who want to be shaken up, stirred and impressed. For several decades, Gaspano has made short, medium and feature films. Whatever the format of the film you see, you come out with it tattooed in your brain. Creation is the key to freedom and freedom is the price. Alone against all, too late, it's irreversible and anyway, Light is eternal. His films are experiments, and the experiments are sensory ones. Smoking. Light the fire. Gaspar Noé is in smoking. Hello, Gaspar Noé. Bonjour. Hello. And now to finish, the question I should have asked you. Uh, is the of time going in the right direction? The temptation was great to start at the end. Like in his film Irreversible, a story in reverse. Also, Irreversible was re-released in a chronological version. So, start in a place where dreams are made. Start with childhood. When I was a kid, I used to watch a lot of TV. I lived in New York between the ages of one and five. And I remember seeing films like Jason and the Argonauts, it seems like yesterday. There are films I saw last week I don't remember as well as The Shock of Jason and the Argonauts on TV in the U.S. After that, the second shock I had in my life was in Buenos Aires. I had seen 2001 A Space Odyssey, must have been six or seven years old, and it fascinated me so much that as soon as it was reprogrammed, I wanted to see it again. I always saw the film again with friends. It's my greatest cinematic ecstasy. And also my first psychedelic experience, because the ending is so hallucinogenic that you're quite simply in another dimension. And yeah, maybe my desire to make movies started there. To try and become the Wizard of Oz and create a universe for other people and make them believe in that universe. I was lucky because in Buenos Aires, School was only in the morning, and the father, uncle, and grandfather of one of my best friends were all cinema cashiers, and they knew all the other cashiers in town. So I spent every afternoon going to see films that were not allowed for under 14s or under 18s. They let us go in, so I saw one or two films a day throughout the week, and then, after the coup d'etat, I was 12. My father, who had left first, sent me letters saying, I saw a great film, Salo by Pasolini, I saw another great film, La Grande Bouffe, and so on. I'm in Paris, come quickly, I'm waiting for you, your mom and your sister. And, um, I couldn't wait to get to Paris to see all those films. When I arrived at the age of 13, I systematically went to see films. I had become totally addicted to the cinema. It was easy in those days to go to the UJC Odeon d'Auton, because in all the screening rooms, there was an exit door that you could push quite easily. And with a clothes hanger, you could get in, I knew that. So I'd pull open the exit door and watch films. It was a bit random because I didn't always find the right room, but at least I could see two films a day, otherwise I'd sneak in on all fours under the cash register. It was, uh, was my drug. But did you watch anything and everything, even comedies and things like that? 
Un jour, je m'étais retrouvé, je crois que je lui avais... One day, I must have been between 13 and 14 years old, I had gone to see a film and suddenly realized that it was a very gay German film called The Consequence by Wolfgang Peterson. It's a love story between adult homosexuals and um, there I was, very young, 14 years old. And when I looked around, I saw there were only men there. And I thought, <laughs> hey, I'm only 14, I'm wearing short pants. <laughs> and in Paris, let there be light. At the Louis Lumière School, he passed the very competitive selective exam. I had finished high school very young. I was 17, I took the entrance exam. I was perhaps the youngest student to get into the uh, Lumière School. I started at 17. It was at the Contrascarpe then, and there was a real familial atmosphere. They gave you the keys because it was a small studio and you could come and work at night. I spent two years there. I left when I was 19 years old, and that was when I made my first short film. With a more or less imposed scenario, but even so I was able to give my father the role of a serial killer, and the film made people laugh and a lot of people liked it. I was only 19, but I thought that my father acted just as well as the professional actors in the film, and from that day on, I knew that I liked the mix of professional actors and people who aren't actors at all. Let me associate a couple of ideas. Louis Lumière School, Louis Lumière, one of the inventors of cinema, Lux Eterna, and the light that goes out at the end. Is there a connection between all that, the light and you? No, Lux Eterna, I didn't come up with the title straight away when Anthony Vaccarello, the artistic director of Saint Laurent, asked me to make a short film. I said yes and came back with the idea of Lux Eterna, just an outline, but it didn't have a title and I didn't have an idea for a title so I said let's call it relax my last film was called Climax and it did well so we'll call it relax that way we'll do it in a more relaxed way but it really didn't make sense in relation to the film as it's a film about religion inquisition and filming and on a film set there are lights but also images that are captured on the film roll because of the light Lux Eterna lent itself well, and Lux Eterna, which means eternal light in Latin, sounds like luxury, like luxury brands, and as it's a designer house of luxury clothes, luxury objects, it sounded luxurious, so it was a very pretty title, but more than that, The first time I had heard this Latin term was in 2001, A Space Odyssey. I had been so fascinated by it that I bought the record and played it over and over, especially the song that's at the end of the film, the psychedelic end where the door to infinity is opened. And this piece, which is by Ligeti, a contemporary artist from the second half of the 20th century, well, he did this kind of choir with voices that go, ah, I don't know how many voices there are that shout, ah, like om at the same time, and it's really dizzying to hear that sound with, and lights that cross the screen at full speed, and for me, it was the eternal light, the Lux Eterna. 
And so, at the end of the film, when I had the idea of unplugging the LED screen that was supposed to send images back and become strobe lights, I thought it'd be great to have a crescendo, a bit like the one at the end of uh, 2001, but obviously in a much smaller way. So, I thought I'd try to do something that might remind us of 2001 at times, or of a short film by Pasolini called La Ricotta, where a director played by Orson Welles tries to stage the crucifixion of Christ. I also wanted the film to remind us of films I admire, like um, the medium-length film by Kenneth Anger. Inauguration of the Pleasure Dome, Inauguration of the Pleasure Dome, which is inspired by taking LSD with Aldous Huxley, and where we see a lot of characters taking shamanic substances, and it becomes a sort of shamanic film, which is pretty rare in the history of cinema. What matters to me is the thing that other directors provoke in my psyche. I chose an art form that is a performing art, and it was Antonio Vaccarello of Yves Saint Laurent who financed the film and let me do exactly what I liked. When I went to see his shows, and there were strobe lights, music at full blast, and the Eiffel Tower, I thought it was a great show. For some people, going to hear Mass on Sunday morning at the Sacré-Cœur is a shamanic experience. Some people go to see parades under the Eiffel Tower with strobe lights. Music at full blast, like a shamanic experience, there's a real sense of pleasure in seeing big shows or small shows that change your perceptions. Watch the screen, let Gaspanoe shake you up. Accept the dose, even if it means losing control. Sex, drugs, or explicit violence. Sometimes his films are disturbing to the point of scandalous. Scandal is just when people whistle or insult you. It's still very nice of them. It's part of the coolest part of the entertainment world. No one's ever come over and hit me because of a film. Would you flag that? No. No. But did you understand why, or don't you want to know? I think, I think that when you show acts of violence on screen and they're well represented, the spectator can forget that it's a two-dimensional reality played by actors with tricks and that the situation shown on the screen is only an imitation of life. But it still triggers a rush of adrenaline in the spectator and it's true that violent films often raise the adrenaline level, and adrenaline is a bit like amphetamines or coke. It can make you aggressive. Yes, I've seen people come out of some of my films with a lot of aggression, but that's part of the fun of knowing that what you're doing is emotionally taken seriously, and that's where you're actually manufacturing dreams or nightmares that people believe in. Irreversible. You showed it in 2002, I believe, in Cannes, you took a beating from the critics, but you filled the cinemas. I was asking for it, you know. Who wants to have good write-ups? You don't want to have good critiques when you make a film. When Pasolini made Salo, did he think about getting good critiques? They make some films for the love of cinema, or for the love of life, or... 
for the love of your friends. And anyway, I'd already had good reviews for I Stand Alone. That was checked off. It was acknowledged by the critics. Tick, 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 there, checked off. What can you do? Make a film that'll be hated by the critics and by the public? But strangely enough, I'd never have thought that the film would be such a public success. Even now, it's still my biggest public success in France. I made a lot of films after that which seemed more acceptable or more accessible. But no, my biggest box office success, released in 2002, was Irreversible. And then in 2020, you pulled it back out, edited it backwards, or the right way around, depending on how you look at it. In any case, chronologically. Have you seen it? I saw it in 2002, but not in 2020. We have to go and see it. The new one's much tackier, because now you understand everything. It's even worse than you could imagine. At the time, I really wanted the film to be told in reverse, but it was part of the game. We shot the film chronologically, and then we edited the 13 or 14 sequences of the film in reverse. But... Today, there are so many films that are told in reverse that it's not even arty anymore. You feel like it's just another cliché. I helped create a genre that's becoming a cliché, the anti-chronological film. But if you turn it upside down, the film is the story of the decline of a group of people. Monica Bellucci is called Alex in the film, her ex-boyfriend, played by Albert Dupontel, who's called Pierre, and her new boyfriend, Marcus, played by Vincent Cassel. But the very strange thing is that the character of Monica, who was not the main character in the first version, becomes the main character, and Vincent Cassel's character, who was the main character in the old version, becomes nastier and nastier in the new version. And we become more attached in the second half of the film, once Monica Bellucci disappears from the screen to Dupontel. And I find it's very interesting. But there's such an inversion of emotions with the same sequences, such an inversion of empathy. That's why I advise everyone to see the film in both versions, forwards and backwards. If you haven't seen the new one, go and see the new one. You need to see both. I'm going to pour another glass of champagne. Because the more you talk, the drier your mouth gets. Apart from that, do you smoke? I started smoking very late. I smoked a lot the day my mother died, so that I could stay up all night while she was dying. And from then on, perhaps I stopped being afraid of death or something, but for six years I smoked more and more. And then last December I was smoking a pack a day and suddenly, completely unexpectedly, I had a brain hemorrhage. I'm one of the lucky 15% who have come through it unscathed. But they said, don't you dare touch drugs and especially cigarettes ever again in your life. And so I stopped the salt, the cigarettes, and I'm living a much healthier life than before. I'm doing very well and I'm happy and I'm really enjoying waking up in the morning. I've heard about hallucinations. You experienced them on morphine when you had this health problem, this attack. I felt like it was the battle of Verdun in my head for three weeks. Fortunately, the morphine helped me through, and I think it reconnected me with life again, and I thought, wow, my head's spinning, and I feel like the walls are caving in, and then they were coming back again, gray, black, white. Yeah, frankly, it was fabulous. 
We've got a little sequence, Gaspar Noé, and a secret room here. Follow me. Ah, that's why we had to meet here. The secret room. Look at this. Whoa. This is the mirror room. What? Watch your head. Mirrors everywhere. Can you describe the person you see in them? What do I see? Well, I see myself from the front, from the back, from the front, from the back, from the top, from the bottom. To describe the room, it's rectangular, there are mirrors on all sides, it's infinitely multiplying. There are a lot of you, all at once. Yep. It reminds me of a scene where there's an effect like that, with mirrors on all sides. When the main character of Enter the Void is shot by the Japanese police, he falls on the ground, there's a moment when he's dying, he loses all his blood, and at that moment there's like his soul is coming out of his body, and the camera moves back and it escapes from behind, you know, and like we'd imagine a spirit coming out of a body, and the camera moves further and further and back, we see the corpse, and then the camera pans upward toward a lamp, which is on the ceiling, and we get closer to the lamp, and there's lots of mirrors, and we have the impression that we can access a dimension where there are several dimensions within that same one. It doesn't sound very comfortable. I'm going to ask you two or three questions. Do you have a favorite outfit? Do I have a favorite outfit? No, I don't have a favorite outfit. I'm comfortable with fairly simple clothes, like jeans, a black jean jacket, blue. I don't like blue in my films. It's usually hardly any blue. Why? I don't know, I don't think it's a color that looks good in films. I prefer red, purple, yellow, orange, but strangely, I like to dress in blue. What do you wear if you want to be elegant? Oh, if I want to look elegant? Uh, I was elegant the day I presented Luxeterna in Cannes, with Saint Laurent clothes. I even had glasses, which I still have, which I love. I watched myself on the big screen before going up the steps. Damn, this guy's classy. He's scary. <laughs> you haven't fully described this guy. It's weird. I don't focus on myself that much. I don't really like looking at myself in mirrors or in pictures. Some people can spend the whole day in front of a mirror. As there are mirrors everywhere here, I can see myself, but... Uh... Just look up. Do you have a guardian angel? I believe that guardian angels are all those who show you a good example. Guardian angels are in your head. They aren't above, they aren't outside. I don't believe in spirits, but I do believe in teaching, observing others, creatures like ghosts inside your head which accompany you. It's strange. It's hard to watch films that show people you've lost, because all of a sudden it reminds you of the joy of being next to them and the pain of not seeing them anymore. Like Philippe Naon? Yes, particularly Philippe Naon. I wanted to make another short film with him recently because he had made Caron with me. And later, I stand alone. And he was in a sequence of Irreversible. He was my favorite actor of my first films. But not so long ago, two years ago, he had a stroke. He lost a little of his speech and he felt weak, but he was always so joyful, so moving. And I really wanted to film him with all of his speech difficulties for what he was, and voila. Many people feel touched when they see children in pictures, but 
Fragile, aging people can be just as touching as a child. And when we're about to shoot something, albeit in a somewhat improvised way, COVID got the better of him and there you go. We're all living in intense times, but they're even more intense for people in their 80s. But films are not meant to die. Love, which is unique, raw and aesthetic, has found a new life on Netflix. The thing that's very weird about love is that I had a lot of distribution complications because the sex sequences were a little bit explicit and they said that the film was prohibited to under-18s. So those who were showing it were showing it almost shamefully because you couldn't really project it in a multiplex. In Mexico, there were no problems and in some other territories, but the film didn't have a big distribution. On Netflix, though, it was number one in Italy for a whole year, and in the United States, it was number three. I think that confining people during COVID has turned a lot of people into wankers, and so they're all throwing themselves at it. There are a lot of sexual weirdos around at the moment. Have you heard of the TikTok challenge? Is that watching the first sequence of the film? Yes, there was a TikTok challenge on love. You had to film your reaction while watching the initial masturbation scene in the film. That's why it worked too. That's what they say, but maybe this TikTok challenge has made it easier to get the film going again. It's been on the channel for uh, four years. But now apparently people are watching it over and over again. Like uh, some people watch Capra's It's a Wonderful Life every Christmas on TV. People think, well, I've got a new girlfriend, I'll show her love again. Or I've got a new boyfriend, I'll show him love and see what he thinks. And no, I don't get royalties on the American or Italian broadcasts. It's a shame, but beyond that, I'm very happy that this film, which had a limited life, is suddenly exploding. And I think that now there are a hundred or two hundred times the number of those who've seen the film in cinemas who have it on DVD or who've seen it on Netflix. But unfortunately, the film was in 3D, and if you watch it on Netflix, there's no 3D, and there are no active or passive glasses to see the film with. So, last sequence, Gaspar Noé. Quick fire of short questions, short answers. Five senses. One is taken away from you. Which one would it be? Uh, odor. Mm, smell. Describe a perfect night. So perfect that it's difficult to define it. A word that has left its mark on you. Cool. Short. Your favorite letter of the alphabet? I don't know why. The first one that comes to mind is Z. You organize a dinner party with three people, dead or alive. Who are they? I'd love to have met Diderot. I think if you have Diderot, Pierre Molinier, I'm not going to invite Kubrick because I don't think that would work. There would have to be a third person who speaks French. I'm not inviting three, I'm inviting four. Diderot, Johnny Stache, Pierre Molinier, and Professor Chon with me. That's five. I'd be the only one who's in French. Rather love or beloved? Love, of course. 
Your most severe addiction. Cinéma. Cinéma. Your favorite means of transport. Uh, I've had a lot of moped and scooter accidents, but it's still a motorbike. A time you would have liked to live in? I'm happy with the time I was born in. I'm glad I lived through the late 70s, 80s, 90s, and the beginning of the rest. I think it's quite complicated for people who are born today to project anything with pleasure unless it's an act of violence. But then violence can be pleasurable too. I have the impression that the years to come will be much redder than the pink ones we used to know. How do you end on a high note? How to end on a high note? If I have to say what kind of death I'd like, it'd be a collective death of people on a plane where everybody screams at the same time or with an explosion where everybody screams at the same time. I don't want to die. That's why I'd rather die with lots of other people. Thank you very much, Gaspar Noé. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. If you're free to make what you think is the right film, when you're happy with the films you make, the truth is you don't care about the awards, you don't care what the critics say, you don't care about all that. Not if you're proud of what you do. 